At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We're glad you're here as we turn to the book of Genesis for our newest series, Family, Why Bother? In the pages of Genesis, we'll discover all kinds of hurting relationships that prove families have been dysfunctional from the very beginning. Join us as we uncover the only one who can renew and restore our broken families. So as we jump in, I want to share a quote, and maybe you've heard this before, all right? This is a fairly common statement. Tis better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all. Do we have people here who've heard that statement, right? And this is a quote from a guy by the name of Alfred Lloyd Tennyson. Tis better to have loved and lost than have never loved at all. It's just like uh, a lengthy poem. This is just a small piece of it. And this proverb-like sentence gets us to reflect and wonder. And, and the reflection of that statement makes you think, is it better to get the joy of loving someone and the pain of losing someone or is it better to have never loved at all and avoid pain altogether? You know, it's that measuring that, that captivates us and gets us to question to some degree, man, is it worth it? Because we all know that when we get into relationship, family relationship, marital relationship, dating relationship, we know that there will be pain. We know that there is, there's going to be a measure of hurt. You know, on the one hand, it's, we're made for relationship. We're made for community. We're made to be loved. And that community is so important. But again, in, in some ways, it's inevitable that we're going to be hurt in some capacity. And so I want to let you in on a little secret. I know pastors, if you share things with me, it's going to be confidential. I'm not sharing names because this is something I've heard since the beginning of, of me being a pastor. For over 10 years, I've heard and have had people come and complain and cry and voice to me this statement. I just don't have connection. I just don't feel a sense of community. I don't feel like I have those relationships here. And so because they don't have those relationships, they feel hurt. And then here's another complaint I hear. Here's another thing that I've heard voiced. Man, I, I'm in this group. I'm serving. I have this life group. But, but people hurt. <laughs> Someone said something about me. Someone made a statement, and I don't agree, and it upsets me. And so they feel hurt. <laughs> so you have two people on the exact different side of the spectrum who have the exact same feeling. Some are feeling hurt because they don't have community, and some are feeling hurt because of their community. And so you think about it. And both are validated, both are real hurts, and we know that we're not made to be lonely, and we know at the same time we're not made to hurt each other. <laughs> that sometimes that there are groups, man, I need to step away from. There are groups when we are really connected where it is toxic. And so I think about family and relationship altogether, and the more you dive into it, 
it, it seems that the messier it gets. You guys have heard stories with me and my family, and I got my big fat Greek family, and they are wild, and they're crazy, and they're opinionated. They are definitely loud, and, and I know that a couple of these people will be watching online, so I love you and I appreciate you. And I still remember, it was at a restaurant in Hannibal, Missouri, and my wife and I are there, and we are going in, and we're eating dinner with my mom and my aunt, and one thing that happens all the time in my family is we fight over who's paying, right? There's a war that's going on. And you're paying. No, no, you're not paying. I'm paying. And so man and I, we're still in that tier where someone's going to battle above us to pay for us. So man is like, why aren't you saying anything? Why aren't you trying to pay? I'm like, it's not worth my breath. It's just not worth it. Okay. And, and so there'll be a day where I'll be going to war on who's paying. But for now, I'm the nice recipient of it, which I love to be a recipient, by the way. Uh, so here's the deal. So, uh, so we're at this restaurant. It's named Fiddlesticks. And it's kind of like an Applebee's. If Applebee's and TGF Fridays had a baby, it'd be Fiddlesticks. And, um, and we're there and, and we're eating and, and we're sitting down. And my aunt says, hey, by the way, I have the bill. I just want you to know we had a waitress. I'm paying just so you know. And I looked at my mom and I noticed something. She was quiet. It's like, this ain't right. Some, some ain't right here. And so we eat, we share this, this moment of fellowship together, and we're happy, and we're smiling, and we have little, little baby Hannah, and we're enjoying this time together. And then the waitress comes up, and, and my aunt kindly says, hey, I'm ready for the bill. And she says, oh, it's already been paid for. Okay. <laughs> so what happens is my mom went inside, we were going to be seated, and she snuck over and said, I'm paying, here's my credit card, keep it here. Before we even got seated, my aunt looked at my mom and said, oh no, Halla, and they literally started a tug of war over the receipts, okay? So people are surrounding us. I feel like we're in the middle of everything. They're both beat red, they're tugging, they are angry, they're looking at each other, they rip the whole receipt, and Amanda was like, oh man, I just married this guy like a year ago. This is so odd, and it is uncomfortable, and, 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 and she's like, hello, my mom's name's hello. I, I told you I'm paying. I know messiness. <laughs> when you get in family, it gets a little nasty. It gets a little crazy at time, and, and really God has made us to not be alone. So here we are, week two in our series called Family. But I love that question after the picture of family. It says, why bother? Why, why bother with this? Why even worry about this? And we've been talking through the book of Genesis. We started off in Genesis. We're going to be studying in chapter two and chapter three, digging into it. And what we love about Genesis is it explores uh, the first families. And then it goes into some of the other early patriarchs of our faith and their families. And when you look at all their families, this is why I know the Bible wasn't written by man, but written by God, because it if man written, wrote it, we would make all our families awesome and no issues, you know, because these are godly families. But people in the Bible are pretty messed up at times because they're real people. And real people have real problems. And real problems, they affect everyone. 
And maybe you're that person who says, man, I'm having issues at my home. I'm having issues with my kids. I'm having issues with my sister. I'm having issues with my friends. And, and, and hey, join the party because people are messy. And, and so we read in Genesis that, that there are some crazy family dynamics. And so we get to talk today about the very first family. Where do you start? <laughs> Let's start with the very first family. And you're going to realize very quickly, conflict happened almost, almost immediately, it felt like. And so these verses and these chapters early in Genesis will show us this fact. We were made for community. Yes, we were made for community. But guess what? Sin separates us. What that's saying is, yeah, we were made for community, but we're all fallen people and we struggle. And so inevitably, there's going to be some damage and there's going to be occasionally some drama. And that's because of sin. We were made for it, but because of our fallen nature, it, it tends to cause some tension. It, it tends to cause some wear and tear because we are, are human. And, and that damage and drama it's something that, that's going to follow any of us in some capacity. And so we want to answer the question, how can we experience restoration? How can we experience peace? How can we experience reconciliation in our relationships? Because when we read about Adam and, and Eve, we know how it played out for them. But if we look at them, maybe we can like reverse look at it and say, okay, what can we learn from them that they did wrong, that we can glean from, and not recreate what they were struggling with? Because in their story of reconciliation and restoration, uh, there, were, there were numerous different little caveats that, that we see that, man, let's just, let's just not do that. And so, okay, let's, let's do a quick review. Uh, Genesis 1, we, we talked about God speaking universe into existence. And throughout the creation account, seven times, in fact, it says that what God saw, what he created, was good. Right? So I'm just going to shoot through these. God saw light, and it was good. God saw the, the, the sky and the earth. It was good. He saw the animals and vegetations and plants. He saw it. It was all good. And then when God creates uh, in his final work on day six, it says that it was very good. So I need you to, to hone in on this for a second. It was good, it was good, it was good, it was very good. And then in chapter two, we get more detail with the description, a detailed description of the creation of Adam. You know, the first man, first human. And then it says in verse 18 of chapter two, it says, then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Okay, so this is interesting, right? The Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. But if we have some Bible scholars in here, we know that this should well, make our antenna go up. Because here we go, the Bible readers, for all of us, this discrepancy, it's like, okay, God said, this is good, everything's good, it's good, and then now it says, not good. <laughs> you see how God used the uniqueness of his word? This is good, this is good, this is good. Well, it's not good for man to be alone. He's using this moment to catch our attention. He's saying, hey, by breaking this pattern... I want you to, to not miss this. It's not good for man 
to be alone. In other words, we were made for community. We weren't made to be lonely. We, we weren't made to be isolated. We, we weren't made to be reclusive. We were made to be together. We were made in so many different ways to have relationship. And so what happens next in the next few verses is God works to help this not good situation. He puts man into a deep sleep and takes out one of his ribs and then he creates a companion and the woman who quickly becomes his wife and she's there. And in the next few verses, God brings this woman to the man and Adam saw her and Adam responds in verse 23 of chapter two and he says this, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. I found a funny joke. Am I allowed to say jokes as a pastor? Yes? Okay. So this is how it goes. Eve said this, Adam, are you seeing someone else? Adam said, no, you're the only woman on earth, baby. <laughs> then Adam said, no, okay, what are you doing? What are you doing? And, and Eve was counting his ribs. Get it? Because woman out of... Okay. All right. That was bad. Okay. Okay. Get it? Woman was made of rib. Two rib. Okay. All right. Here we go. So <laughs> it's Memorial Weekend, okay? <laughs> so here we go. We got two things. <laughs> two things here. He says that she's bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. And this was a way for him to say, we're same. We're family. We're together. You know, in, in ancient traditions, in ancient world, they didn't just say, hey, we're the same blood. They said, we are bone and we are flesh. You know, we might say, hey, we're blood, right? We're blood. Uh, the ancient world used to say, you're bone and flesh of mine. And so here when he says that, in other words, he is saying, hey, our marriage relationship, because we are, we are one, we are same, we are together. And so we realize when he says this, hey, we, we are a family unit. And the second thing we see is Adam, uh, he does, what he does is he name her woman. He says that she will be called woman. Adam was in essence saying that, that she is mine and, and I am hers. We are of the same kind. We are together. And I love the commitment that we see in verse 24 through 25. This is what it says. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So what we're seeing here is the making of a new family. And what makes a family is a breaking away from mother and from father and holding fast to wife, holding fast to husband. And then when they have this marital act, they become one flesh. They become one family. And in this relationship, they experience uh, freedom and, and they experience safety. 
In this, they experience a measure of, hey, I don't have to hide from you. It says they were naked and they were not ashamed. It's because they were not ashamed to be themselves with that person. They were not ashamed to be real with that individual. They experience a joyful intimacy in this relationship together. And this was God's design. We were all made for community. Whether you whether you ever get married or not, we were made for friendships, for partnerships, for companionships, and for family. You don't just have to be married to experience what God designed us to be. To have people in our lives, I just think it's so important to have people in our lives we feel safe with. Do you have someone in your life right now that you are completely and utterly safe with? That you can go to them and you can say whatever you want because you know it's a safe place. You know and you trust them. You trust their motives. I even think about myself you know, with, with, with church and pastors and so many things coming out on pastors and churches and, and issues and integrity and, and, and there's all this stuff, right? And so uh, you have to trust me that I have the best intentions for you. When I preach the word, the intention is for you to be built up, for you to understand. And whether I'm on stage or not, to know that I care for your soul. I want you to have healthy friendships. I want you to be uh, God-driven, living, fellowship-driven parents and friends. I want you to be in life groups. I want you to serve. Not because I just want you to, to, to hold a door or serve with kids or help out at the food pantry. No, I know it's the best thing for you. The reason why we want these things and we challenge our church is because we know the blessing that will come from it. It's not to, hey, let's mark up another thing on your schedule. It's to give you more joy because the greatest of these must be a servant of all. The more we serve, we become in the nature of God. The more we're generous, we become in the nature of God. The more we pray, we become in the nature of God, right? The heartbeat of Jesus was a heart of prayer, a heart of service. And so the more we do these things, we know to, that will build you up. And so in these situations, we have to understand that we were made for community, but unfortunately, sin separates. When sin entered the world, as we're going to see in Genesis 3, it kind of threw things for a loop, right? They're made, they're naked, unashamed. They had got this garden, they got each other. But then everything starts to, to pivot in Genesis chapter 3. So we're going to approach these next verses. And, and I really want you to think about these questions. How can we experience restoration and peace in our relationships? Again, I want you to think about that. How? Because I know, I mean, we're a good church, right? I've loved being here three months. But if I have a conversation individually with everyone here, we're going to have some tension. <laughs> You're going to tell me, okay, thank you. I love the smiles and the handshakes, but let me, let me tell you what's really going on in my life. <laughs> let me tell you what, what I'm really battling. Let me tell you what, what I'm really 
struggling with in my soul. Let me tell you the person I'm struggling with, and I just I have no peace. I have no restoration. I have no reconciliation. And so we're going to read Genesis 3, and I want us to think, hey, they did certain things. What, what can I do to be different? How can I approach this and be different so I don't make some of those same mistakes in my, in my broken relationship? So the first thing that we must do is listen to the truth of God's voice. If you want to listen to any voice, listen to God's voice. Let's read the first six verses in chapter three. We're going to dig into this. First three, or chapter three, first six verses, this is what it says. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of any fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some of it to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. So here we go. Immediately after this marriage, the scene shifts to an exchange between this, this woman and this crafty creature. And the serpent in this conversation starts off by asking, did God actually say? <laughs> did he actually? I think that was mine, actually. That one was mine. You should not eat of any tree in the garden. Notice his craftiness here. On the one hand, he's trying to get her to question and doubt God. He's trying, to, he's trying to get her to question the word of God, the command of God. But on the other hand, he's misquoted what God's word was said. See, God originally told them to eat from any tree uh, they'd like, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the serpent says, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree from the garden? So the way the serpent puts it makes God sound more restrictive and less caring than he is. You see that twist? It's like, man, God's just trying to steal your joy. He's trying to take that away. And so then we see the woman is drawn in by this, by this subtleness, and she responds, verse 3 and 4, and she says, We may not eat of the tree or the fruit of the trees in the garden, uh, we can accept this one. This is the one we shall not eat. And then she says, or touch, lest we die. And so it's interesting because she does correct the serpent. So she corrects him and says, no, this, this is what he said. But then she adds something. She says, oh, but you, you, you can't eat it or touch it. You know, it doesn't say that in the word. God didn't say, hey, you can't touch 
the tree of knowledge and good and evil. We don't have that. Maybe he said it, but we don't see it in the word. And so she adds something here. She adds a piece to what has initially been said. And so you can see how the serpent is luring the woman in, sowing seeds of doubt, causing her to second guess and question God's command for her and her life. And once he's got her there, he switches strategies. And he directly contradicts God's word. He says, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And then in verse 6, says that the woman saw this. So he kind of sets her up, he places doubt, and then she shifts her eyes back to that tree and she said that it looked good for food. It was delightful to her eyes. She desired to be made wise. And so she take and she ate of it and she gave some to her husband. See, in this moment, they refused to trust God. They, they refused to rely on God and keep the boundaries that were set for them. And this is the start of all the brokenness in the world. People wonder, hey, when did it start? This is the moment where brokenness began. The relationship with God was broken. And as we're going to see in a little bit, the brokenness with each other is going to happen. It's going to be fractured. This is where division begins because they listen to the voice of a liar instead of the voice of God. So we have to learn, hey, we got to listen to the voice of God. We think about Jesus. Jesus was in the desert. He was being tempted. And this is such a significant time in the ministry of Jesus because when he goes into the desert and he's tempted and he fasts for 40 days and he's hungry and he's praying and he's in solitude that Satan came when he was at his weakest at the end of the 40 days and he tempted him. And we had another opportunity for someone to be swayed and moved and tested. And in that moment, Jesus succeeded and he stood up against Satan and he quoted the word of God saying, hey, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And where Adam and Eve failed because of listening or mislistening or not listening at all to the voice of truth, Jesus listened and he overcame. And I believe that this was one of the first steps in being reunited to God through the work of reconciliation because he listened and he overcame. This is one of those first steps in the good news where he lived and he died and he rose so that we could be forgiven of our sin and have renewed relationship and had renewed connection and become peace at peace with God. And then we could take that message of peace and become peacemakers. We could take it to our world, take it to our homes, take it to our friendships. And, and so I think about this and how Jesus, he, he showed us the greatest example of standing on God's word. Because there's going to be voices everywhere. And, and traditional wisdom is not necessarily godly wisdom. 
There's some of us who believe certain things of our life and certain statements and mottos and anthems that we've walked through our whole life. We believe those are God-ordained things, but sometimes they're not. The voice of God is always first. Let's feed on the Word of God. Let's, let's put it into our communities, and let's be part of communities who are going to speak God's Word in our life. I already said it prior, but, but thinking about a group, thinking about a life group, we want to be part of communities that speak God's Word into our soul. We want our friends, our best friends, our relationships to be people that they genuinely care about our faith. They genuinely want to see us grow closer to Christ. And not just that, they want us to grow closer together. They want to get in the Word together and grow deeper as, as a community. So again, first thing, we want to listen to the voice of God. The second thing we learn from this first family conflict is that we need to put off false ways of defending ourselves. And this is, the, this is the point where I'm like, oh man, this is going to be a tough one. Because we see that early on in the first family conflict, it is, there's a lot of defending themselves. There's a lot of justification. So let's read verses 7 through 13 in chapter 3. This is what it says. Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were both naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave me to be with, she gave me fruit from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So here in this moment, right after this couple, the first couple eats the fruit, and disobeys God. Verse 7 happens, and their eyes are opened. Their eyes are opened, and it says that they both knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. You know, previously we were told they were naked and without shame. The couple had nothing to hide, no need to cover up, but now sin has come, cover, come into the world and they want to hide themselves. They are ashamed. They are scared. And so in this moment, when they're covering up and they're afraid and they hear the footsteps of God in the garden, when God confronts them, this is what happens. He goes to Adam first and he asks him, hey, did, did you eat? Do you eat from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And what is his response? The woman whom you gave me, whom you gave me, she ate of it and then she gave it to me. So with these words, Adam is not uh, physically covering himself, 
But, but he's still covering himself in a way where, where he's justifying his actions. He's pointing the blame. Notice he, he's not saying anything technically wrong, right? Like God did give him Eve, right? He did give him Eve to be in his life. It is true. And Adam's not lying here. Nevertheless, what he's doing is what I call the blame game. He's becoming the blamer. You gave her to me. You gave her to me, and she ate it, and then I ate it. He's what I call the blamer. So he can't even look at himself. And then with the woman, God asks her, what have you done? And she responds, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So again, what she says is true. The serpent did deceive her, and he was strategic in how he he came up with a plan to deceive her. But she is playing what we call the victim card. So now we have the blamer, and then we have the victim. Both ways are ways to justify that they did nothing wrong. And with this, the blamer and the victim, division starts. Right, you got Adam, you got Eve, and one's blaming the other, and one's the victim. That doesn't sound like any of your relationships, right? We got no victims, we got no blamers. Well, she did this, or only if she did that, or if only he did this, or oh, who am I? I mean, he did this too. We can very easily sway away from, from looking in the mirror. You know, luckily with me, I'm perfect, so I'm glad you guys have a pastor like me who's never the blamer, never the victim. I am perfect, <laughs> not to brag, of course, but, but the reality is we've all been there. It, it, I believe it's in our fallen nature. Our, we want to preserve, we want to protect, we, we want to say, okay, no, 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 before anything, we want to start protecting our own feelings, our own nature, and, and if we're not careful with constructive criticism, we're just going to become bitter and not actually be able to look in the mirror and realize that, man, there probably was a part of this that was me. And so in this fallen nature, we just got to remember the word of God. I think Matthew 7, 5 is huge. Jesus says, hey, you hypocrite, just focus. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Says, hey guys, think about it. Think about yourself and where you stand in this. Think about in this moment if you are able and willing to ask the hard questions about yourself. I mean, this is this is a question. I want to put it up here so we can see. All right. Within the experience of that conflict, yes, that conflict. Are you quicker to criticize the other person or to examine yourself? Whatever that conflict is, are you quicker to criticize the other person or examine yourself? Second thing I want you to think. Do you spend most of your time reflecting on and talking about what they did wrong, how they screwed up, or are you equally concerned with your role in the matter? I'm not saying, so, well, Winston, there's 75% them. I know, I know. It, 
We, we can run percentages all day. We cannot control them. We can only control us. What they do is between them and God. We can only control our actions in this. So are we equally concerned with our role in the matter? I always say it takes two to tango, three to create a soap opera. You know, it's true. There, there is a measure where we have to look and say, okay, even if it's 99% and I'm just the 1%, what is my 1% that I need to learn from and grow from? What is it that, that I need to hone in on? Because I want to make sure that I don't just live as the blamer or, or the victim. I don't want to be the person, it's them, it's them. Or look what they did to me. I want to be here and say, you know what? This is what happened. It's not right, but these are things I could have done or what I'm going to do moving forward to make sure I don't repeat the past. Doesn't mean we don't feel. Doesn't mean we don't hurt. Doesn't mean we just walk away saying, oh, I'm, I'm great. It just means that we at least take time and reflect and don't just point fingers because that takes the focus away from what can I take away from this? What can I learn from? And then the final thing is, uh, since we listen to the voice of God, God's voice, we set aside uh, ways of defending ourselves. Now we need to receive the gracious provision of God. I love this. Genesis 3.21 says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. It just blows my mind that that they sinned, they wandered from him, and in that moment they had, they had rinky-dink leaves and, and he took and he slaughtered an animal to give them clothes. They came at a sacrifice. The one who could have said, I'm going I'm to boot you out, I'm going to start over, I'm going to try this out again, and instead he gave them provision. He still took care of them. He still gave up a sacrifice to clothe them. And, and it just shows me that our God, even in the midst of this, even in the moment, he covered them at an expense. And we know the story that he covered us at an expense. He covered our sins at an expense. As the lamb was slain, it had to cover our impurities. In this act, Jesus, he would be that ultimate cost. And that's why it's so important when it comes to relational conflict. If we're secure in who we are in Christ, that we're forgiven, beloved, secure, accepted, then we don't have to win every fight. We don't have to take every criticism personally. We don't have to prove or justify ourselves by winning the argument. In Christ, we're, we're free to be honest about our faults and failures because the gospel of God is that he loves us despite all our faults and all our failures. You know, we started off this message saying, hey, it's that quote, is it better to have loved and lost than never have loved at all? It's an interesting question and the truth is that we're made for relationships. We're made for community. We're made to be together. 
Family, why bother? Because we're made for this. We're made for church. We're made for one another. And I want to challenge every single person in this room, every person online, find that community. If you're not in it, find it. If you put up walls and you don't trust and you've been hurt, find ways to to take the hard route to trust again. Because this is what we're made for. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.